Hi, it's Sarah Evans at JPR. I sat down with Jackie Gifford, Editor-in-Chief of Travel and Leisure, a friend and someone I've admired for years. Jackie and I began our travel careers many years ago together in New York, and I've watched her confidently rise through the ranks from assistant editor to now being at the helm of one of the foremost media outlets in the world, all while being a nice, lovely human. Today, I talk with her about her journey in travel leadership, the power of saying no, some of her favorite travel experiences, and why fake it till you make it is one of the most influential beliefs we can have in ourselves. And always, if you love this episode, please share and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Here we go. This is Sarah, and I'm here today with my longtime friend, personally and in the travel industry, Jackie Gifford. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Hi, Jackie. This Jackie, is so fun, by the way. It's I'm, like a morning coffee chat. It makes me so morning happy. Morning coffee. And Jackie's the editor in chief of Travel and Leisure Magazine. Jackie and I met 16 years ago. That's I was true. thinking about this. Don't say that number. That 16 makes 16 <laughs> years ago, Jackie was working in travel at OK Magazine. That's right. And I was working at another firm doing travel PR. And we were both starting out in our careers. And it's been so fun to watch your journey. Well, same. I mean, you built this amazing business, so congrats to you. to be on this together. And Jamie and I always say that today's assistant is tomorrow's CEO, so you have to be nice to everybody because back then... That is 100% true. I think that's just a good rule for life, right? Just why, you know, be nice to people, be kind. Be kind because you know, watching you and what you've created and as a woman in the industry is really, really tremendous to watch. Thank you. I wanted to talk to you a bit about being a woman in the industry. In in travel, I was reading that half of students in university hospitality programs today, half of the students in those programs are women. However, there's still a discrepancy in female hospitality executives. There's a gender discrepancy, and so many female hotel employees are still in housekeeping, in back of house. They're not in executive leadership. They're not in the leadership roles. You're right. That's absolutely true. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because I watched at ILTM, which, as we in the travel industry know, is one of the top shows for luxury hotels in the industry. And it can this past December, you did a panel on women in the industry. Tell us about that because I yes. saw it on Instagram yes. and I was so intrigued. To piggyback off what you said earlier, it's it's something that is true of hotels, but also airlines, cruises. Really, when you look at the travel industry at large, there are fewer female CEOs, CFOs, CMOs, let's be honest, it's mostly still men at the top. And so when I got to Cannes in, I guess it was December of 2018, I had just been appointed editor-in-chief. I'd been in the job for about a month. And I was so excited to go to the show. ILTM is the premier, I think, luxury travel show. It's We're an official media partner. And I love I loved it. I loved every minute of the experience. But just something that I took away having done the show just with fresh eyes in this new job was that, again, most of the executive roles were still filled by men. There were fewer women at the top. And so I said to myself, okay, I'm in this role as editor of Travel and Leisure, what can I do to just talk about this and really just get this sort of out in the open? And it's not, let me backtrack. I decided, I approached ILTM and said, hey, let's try and do an event called Women in Travel. I'll invite people that I know in the industry who have made it 
to fairly senior positions and hear their stories, hear how they got to the top. And ILTM was really receptive. So we ended up doing a breakfast on the Tuesday morning. The show really starts on Monday. And, you know, people are out fairly late at night. We know how travel people are. And it was incredible to see on the Quasette, the room that we had, people were coming in before 7 a.m. because our start time was like at 7.30 to sit down. So we had almost 200 people, actually over 200 people That's come incredible. for a really early morning morning event to hear. So it was, I was the panel moderator. I invited Tina Edmondson from Merit International. She leads their luxury brands. Valerie Wilson, who, as we all know, founded one of the premier travel agencies in the country. Audrey Henley, who's the president of American Express Travel. She was fascinating. Amina Beluzidad, who's the CFO of the private suite at LAX. You know, we just had this amazing, amazing group of women. And of course, what the sort of interesting thing about it was also I invited Nancy Novograd, who was my former boss, one of the female editor-in-chiefs that really, you know, served at Travel and Leisure for 25 years. So we were all there. We talked about this topic for about an hour, and people had no shortage of opinions, thoughts. And I think what I made very clear at the beginning was it wasn't a man bashing session by right. any it, that was not what it was about. It was about these women telling their stories and how they got to the top. Like, for example, Tina, who, you know, she learned by watching her mother in India, who her mother had been a flight attendant. And, you know, once she had kids back then, you know, you had to sort of quit because you couldn't do both things. And so she ended up opening a series of hair salons in Mumbai, one of which was at a hotel. And so Tina just was inspired to see her mom continue to work in a country that, you know, really hadn't championed, I'd say, women in the workplace. It's still a struggle in India. And then Audrey... She was amazing because she's, you know, she's Irish. She moved to the United States and has risen through the ranks at American Express Travel. And she's been very clear from the beginning, you know, of her tenure there that everything really needs to be 50-50. She's traveled the world and I think really walks the walk when it comes to gender parity. And, you know, Amina was really interesting too, because she shared that. She's now at the private suite at LAX, but she had worked in China for some startups. And what was fascinating about her story was that many of her mentors were men. And so it really kind of became this amazing dialogue. And people walked out of there inspired. I got tons of messages from friends and people in the business just to say it was really great to feel like, oh, I can take away something from this discussion and apply it to my own career. And what were the applications? If you were to tell these students at hospitality school or a friend or a peer in the industry? What, sure. what were the applications that we could all take away? Sure. Well, I think one thing that came out of it was that all the women on the stage, some of them, in particular, Tina and Audrey had mentioned that at various points in their career, they tried to talk themselves out of a job. And it was because they felt like they weren't qualified at the time. Audrey even gave a specific example where she had gotten the job and she was talking to her new boss about all the reasons why she wasn't going to be able to do this. And it was too complicated. And, and her boss was like, listen, you're, you're talking yourself out of this position. I think as women, we sometimes feel this self-doubt that men don't. And that that kind of came out of the breakfast that a lot of times men walk in with a little more confidence and they feel like even if they don't have the resume isn't perfect, they're reaching for a new level. That's fine. Women feel like they can't do that. And so it's about talking yourself up rather than out of a job. That was one thing. The other part of it was that 
you know, and Nancy shared anecdotes and, you know, the struggle of balancing family and work is still really, is real. It's a problem. I don't want to say crisis, but it's kind of a crisis in the States when we look at how working mothers are are really trying to do it all and you really can't do it all. So I think we all discuss that women take on a, a larger burden sometimes when it comes to caregiving and whether that's little children. Now, for some women who are in their maybe 50s and 60s, that's their elderly parents and how workplaces can be more supportive when it comes to making sure that women get that time for themselves and they're more understanding about the fact that they're balancing all these things. So those were some of the key points that came out of it. I mean, there are many others, but those are the things that really hit home with me. And I was watching the other women in the room be like, oh my gosh, yep, been through that, done that. It was really quite moving. And hopefully we're planning on doing another series again, another discussion next year with a slightly different theme, but you know, I'm toying with different ideas, but I think the response was overwhelmingly positive. Once these women got to this place, are there other barriers besides the balancing act that we all face yeah. as women with careers and mothers? Sure. Were there other barriers talked about? And obviously, I feel like the travel industry is such a receptive one of continuing to propel women. And this is not a, a man bashing thing, but yeah. are there other barriers that were talked about? I think the thing that came out of the session the most was the environment that you choose to be in is really important. And also working at companies that you feel are safe spaces and foster personal growth. And sometimes saying no to something is just as powerful as saying yes. You know, some of the panelists I talked to mentioned, you know, at different times they were maybe offered positions or they felt like... There was a new opportunity for them, but it didn't feel quite right for various reasons. And they said no. And there was a power in saying no. And I think that was another interesting takeaway is I feel like as women sort of rise through the ranks and achieve more things, it's in our sort of nature to always be the one to raise the good girl in class and raise your hand and say yes to everything. And that's not always the right approach. Because sometimes when you just can't do it because you know that you're going to be sacrificing, maybe it's home time or sacrificing, you know, you're going to be scattering yourself and that's not good for business. There's something really powerful about being like, no, that's not for me. That's something for myself that I've been proud of over the past couple of years. I feel like I'm so much better at saying no. Yeah. But in hindsight, I realized for so many years in my career, I was always saying yes and whether that's because I'm a woman or, you know, you're just innately like that as a person, you feel you don't want to get behind or you don't want to totally. miss out on an opportunity. Totally. And so you say yes to everything, but at a detriment to yourself. Totally. And there's sometimes in my career where I felt that saying yes to everything really helped me. And True. I think there's a balance there where sometimes you go through these waves of, I call them these like, sort of learning. Like there are times when I just feel like my brain is like a sponge and I just uh, like, there might be one week where I'm like, I just want to learn new stuff all the time. I mean, that's frankly how I feel most days, but then some days I'm like, nope, my brain is full. I've got to focus on the job, the task at hand. And then I have days where I'm just like reading constantly, looking for new ideas. And I think that that makes me a better manager mm -hmm. and leader. I had a discussion yesterday with our creative director about, you know, I never want anybody on my team and certainly myself to ever feel like things are stale 
at our brand. And once you sort of become closed off to new ideas, I think that's when an evolution, that's when brands start to falter. We talked about, you know, there are so many companies paying attention to Mm -hmm. diversity and inclusion, obviously, and, and making sure that women are put in these leadership positions. What hotels or travel companies do you see making a concerted sure. effort or doing it well? Sure. Well, I know just from talking with Tina and, you know, Arnie Sorensen Obviously, is, is leading Marriott International. He's a man. Um, but everybody, his all of his direct reports, it's 50-50 men and women. I think that's a big stride when it comes to the hospitality industry. And obviously, as you know, Marriott is a massive company and Marriott touches every single country. I think that that's a really important thing to have that company sort of looking ahead and making sure that female executives are represented when it comes to the cruise space, you know, traditionally, that's actually an even more male-dominated industry. And I've learned from one of my friends in the business that it is tied into when you look at naval history, you know, because a lot of the captains traditionally come from the Navy or they've had some background. Um, it just is what it is. And so I think what's interesting right now at Celebrity Cruises, you know, their CEO is a woman. They have a Captain Kate McHugh, who she's actually like become this sort of amazing Instagram influencer because she's one of the few female captains out there. And it's a really demanding job. And she's you know, of course, making it look easy. I know there's challenges, but there are still very few female cruise executives and or captains. And I feel like celebrity is is making a concerted effort to ensure that they achieve parity. Those are two that come to mind, like off the top of my head in terms of, you know, people that are looking at things from a different perspective. You know, Marriott is a company I've worked with a lot over the years. And one of the things that strikes me about the women that I've worked with there is they've all stayed. And I've watched the evolution of their careers. And obviously, there's so many different brands under the Marriott umbrella. But how they've all had opportunity to continue to evolve their career in different ways. And Mm -hmm. as the organization has expanded, moving into different parts and continuing to grow. And I've always admired the job that the company has done to retain and keep people excited and keep them growing. Absolutely. I think the workforce is rapidly changing and people oftentimes don't stay in jobs as long as they used to, say 30, 40 years ago. And I think companies that are successful find opportunities for their employees to grow and move within. And luckily, Marriott's large enough that they can do mm-hmm. that. Not all companies are quite that large, but but you're right. It's really fascinating because some of the people that I've known from the business have been there for years and they've just moved to different positions and they keep growing. Shifting gears to talk about you as a female traveler. Mm-hmm. Now, you're, yeah. you're a solo traveler. You travel with Rob, your husband. You travel with your family, your son. What inspires you? You went on this iconic trip to India oh over the holidays. Oh, my God, yes. So what are you looking for in destinations or hotels or activities? Sure. Well, it, part of it, it depends on whether I'm going by myself or for work or with my family. But first of all, I should say I'm open to any destination. And I think that... I'd never want to close myself off to a place or, you know, a type of travel that, like, for example, India was really fascinating because I've been many times. I'd never been with my husband. My son certainly had never been, and he's four. And I had been last February and felt like, you know what? We should go as a family. And when I told that to a lot of people, the reaction was like, what? That's crazy. You know, the flight's long. You know, you're going to be crazy jet lagged. I shared the itinerary with them and we were moving around quite a bit. And I was like, you know what? I really think it's going to be fine. And it was. And here's why. I think you have to, you know, people will surprise you when you sort of 
least expect it. And my son did absolutely fantastic on the trip. He loved India. He loved the colors, the people, the, you know, there's so much life there. And I think so the short answer to this is that what do I look for in a trip? It, it really depends upon the people that I'm traveling with, the kind of time and moment in my life and what I needed. Like I felt like I wanted that a longer vacation where we could all sort of switch off for the holidays. And India definitely, it challenged us in all the right ways. What are you going to take from that? Oh my gosh. I think the first thing... Well, you know, I personally love India so much and I would go, uh, you know, every month if I could. I think the thing that I took away in particular from this trip, first of all, how vast India is in terms of its geography and, and how, like, when you visit destinations, there are little microcosms of culture, regional culture, even in a country, obviously, like France, like Italy, you go from one town to the other and it could be completely different. And India is like, you know, so much bigger. And I realized, again, the world starts to seem small when we realize how, you know, we're all connected on our phones with flights and new routes. But really, the difference in sort of the things that you can see in traveling just from one place to the other, it could be 100 miles away and you could have a vastly different experience. And that's what I took away from India. What did the hotels do? I'm curious, as mm. someone who travels with their families, what did the hotels do for Bobby? Oh your my son? God, what didn't they do for Bobby? We stayed at uh, the Oberoi Hotels, Taj, the Leela Palace in Udaipur, which won in our world's best award last year. And they, you know, they spoiled Bobby. And like this kid is, I mean, I can't believe it. They do this for all children, though. I think that that's the other thing that surprised me about the trip. You know, culturally in India, it's very normal for grandparents and parents and kids to all travel together. Because you went with your parents. I went with my parents too. So so that sort of family bonding is quite normal. So they're used to that multi-generational travel because it's always been the way that people travel there. So we check in and they'd have like a monogrammed pillow for him and all sorts of toys. We checked into the Oberoi Amar Villas and they had a chocolate replica of the Taj Mahal. And he goes, look, mom, the Taj Mahal. I mean, it's really cute. It was quite cute. So I think just the sort of like surprise and delight little things. And my son likes to wear ties and our tour operator grieves. When we checked into our first hotel, they made sure that there were two little ties for him that he could open and wear on the trip, which was such a sweet surprise. It's little things like that, Mm -hmm. which don't really cost much. Like not, I'm not talking about money. It's just like a little extra level of thought that goes into it that really make kids' eyes light up and they're so happy. Do you think that there's a difference in hotels that you've stayed in that are women run Mm. or, or not? Are there touches that you've seen when females are at the helm? And maybe not, but is there anything that women are doing in the industry that you've noticed? Sure. I think, well, that's, no, it's a good question. I'll use India as an example only because our travel advisor, Rose Thomas with Greece, who planned the trip, knew that I had children and and had seen Bobby on social media. So that's the, she's the one who said the Thai thing would be brilliant. And it was, and I was not expecting it. And she's a mom. So maybe that sort of like knowing what it's like when your kids are that age or kids are grown, she was sort of more attuned to it. But I'd say in general, I don't know if I could say that men and women sort of do the surprise and delight factor for kids Mm -hmm. differently or like I've noticed anything different. Like at Little Dick's Bay where we just stayed, the general manager, Andreas, has 
two children and he's about my age and he and his team knew exactly what to do for us as well. And whether it was like setting up a tent in the room because his kids had, you know, enjoyed that stuff. So I think it's more just in the personality of the person running the hotel and and what kind of you know, whether they're creative, empathetic, how on top of their game they are. I think it's more about that. Or on social media or have someone watching social media for them. Well, that's the crazy part of it. It's like really interesting to see. I use social media. I enjoy it. I sometimes try to like hold back a little bit and share some stuff and don't share everything. But it is kind of fascinating how, you know, your whole life is on display. And so people can really tailor a state for you even better based on your preferences that you share on social. And I do think overall, it's an okay thing. Most of the time when I've traveled, there's never been a moment where I've been like, ew, that's weird. Why did they do that? Most people kind of do it in a respectful way. And it is an opportunity for hotels because you feel, someone feels oh, that person really does know me, like the ties for Bobby or... That was brilliant. Like literally that was so, it was so spot on. And because I put on social, he wears ties to school. He loves them. He thinks he's like a big boy. And I was like, that is genius. So So at Travel and Leisure, are you doing anything specific to inspire solo travel or women in travel? Is there any initiatives? Yeah, I think what's important. So we've been, we did an, our adventure issue last year. We did a whole section and story on solo travel for women in the adventure space, which I thought was a really great story because there's lots of companies and, and brands that are doing, you know, more to cater to women. I think the other thing that's really important is just even in our own storytelling, having more female writers and being a little bit more open about either traveling by themselves or traveling with their kids and making sure that, you know, our readers understand sort of the writer's experience and what that's really like. So I think in general, it's just making sure that the storytelling is more nuanced. Mm -hmm. You know, travel writing traditionally you know, going back years, I think it was a lot of men. I think it's changing and it's still, there's definitely more opportunities for women even to write about travel than there were 40 years ago. And I think when it comes to actually traveling and being on the road as a female traveler and traveling by yourself, you know, I have certain tips that I like to give people and things that I do on my own. I always make sure that I leave my itinerary with somebody back home they know where I am at any given time, even if I'm in a major city that's like the safest in the world. Just so, you know, they know if they ever need to reach me, you know, I have the address like written down because in case my phone dies or whatever, and have just know where I need, where I am. And, you know, it's funny is that we sort of move towards this like odd cashless society. It is kind of nice to have cash in your back pocket if you need to get like an emergency taxi, or I've been in places where it's not that way. And Uber isn't even a thing. Mm -hmm. And so how do you get around and how do you navigate? So I just always make sure I have a little bit of cash with me. I have my ID. I have my passport saved with my family back home. So they know all my information as well. They know where I'm staying. You know, it's little things like that. Um, I always like to pick hotels that are in, you know, if I, particularly if I'm traveling by myself and in like a neighborhood that's relatively well-established and and well-known, that's just my personal preference. Every, you know, people can do other things, but that's just what my comfort level is. And I was reading that 70% of women have now taken a solo trip, mm-hmm. whether it's for work or yeah. for pleasure. Uh-huh. And 
I think that's such an empowering yeah. statistic. Totally. It's that- really amazing. It's I mean, I think things have changed quite a bit and yeah, it is kind of amazing as more women enter the workforce, it just becomes part of life. You know, they're traveling for work for, you know, they're not waiting. So I think that traditionally, you know, there was always this perception if you were single, it's like, oh, I'll wait to take that big dream trip, but which was not true anymore. And we mentioned that in our story that a lot of women and particularly women who are successful in their businesses and have disposable income and they want to travel. It's like, why am I waiting? Why what am, am I waiting, waiting? I'm what for an, a partner to travel on this safari? I need to do it. So I was, you know, mostly, you know, too, when you think about wellness, a lot of destination spas get solo female travelers for a variety of reasons. Um, That's on my bucket list, by the way, in the next year or two to find four days by myself when I can go to a destination spa or go out of my comfort zone. I was talking to a friend in the industry who has a new client and she was going on a happiness retreat at this hotel. Can and I go on a happiness right? retreat? Right. Yeah. But I noticed that they had a silence retreat. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. what I want to do. I want to go on a silence yeah. retreat. I went to Canyon Ranch two years ago and no, was, was it longer than that? And what was really interesting, I met a woman on a hike. She was a, worked at Google and sales. She was probably in her early 30s and she had spent you know, quite a bit of money to go for four or five nights because she was just totally burnt out. I met a lot of other women who had experienced loss, several older women whose husbands had recently died. And then I met a lot of female friends, like just traveling together, like girlfriends. And they have this thing, and as a lot of sort of spas of similar ilk do, where it's like a communal table and you can join and decide to meet new people. And so I did one night just as, you know, I was there as a journalist and wanted to see who was staying. And it was fascinating because everybody had sort of come to the place for different reasons. And it felt like a totally safe, like warm, welcoming environment and perfect for a woman who, you know, was on her own. It was great. So we have to wrap up, unfortunately. You have to actually go. I have to do work. I don't really want to do work. (laughs) What advice would you give to women coming up through the ranks? What advice would you give? To Jackie. Oh, my God. You know, in 2004, when we first met, and the industry has changed wildly Wildly. since then, what advice would you give? So I'm going to tie this back to my earlier comment about sort of, and I've given this advice to actually some female team members at Travel and Leisure, and it's, it's funny, but I think the phrase, fake it till you make it, is something that it stuck with me because, again, we talk ourselves out of things that we think, oh, I can never do that. I can't. I'm not qualified. I'm not smart enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not thin. All these things. And look, like, for example, as I'm, you know, being an editor-in-chief, like, I, I was qualified to do the job, but I didn't know what the job really entailed because I had never done it. And so now a year plus in, have I learned so much? Absolutely. Am I a better leader? Absolutely. But that's the point, right? Like you sort of have to project confidence and ownership and, you know, the fact that you're own, the fact that you're going to make some mistakes, you're going to make great decisions Mm -hmm. too. But if you sort of like talk yourself out of things, you're just going to stay doing the same thing all the time. And that's not really what building a career is about, you know, I'm sure you felt the same way. Like, would you have ever expected that your business would have grown this much and you'd have, you know, this amazing team working for you if you look back like 10 years ago? No, but that's part of the journey and that's part of growth. So that's kind of my thing. And I I say this to people, it's like, you know, don't be afraid, 
learning is part of being human. It's part of your personal growth, your professional growth. So again, don't talk yourself out of something because I think it's just, it's just not good. No, (laughs) I I love that you said that because I, you know, fake it till you make it has a negative connotation, but at the end of the day, fake it till you make it is believing in yourself. No, it's believing. That's it. It's It's believing in yourself. It's having that confidence in those moments when you don't believe in yourself to say, I can do this. That's it. It's not, it's like, I'm going to figure this out. And that's it. Cause I think you sort of, and I've seen, you know, plenty of men do this, you know, walk into a conference room, not really fully being up to speed or knowing what the discussion is about and feeling completely comfortable and just sort of like, I can, I can figure out this meeting. I'll figure it out. I can sort of fake my way through a discussion, learn on the fly. So for me, it's like, it's less of a negative. It's more of like a understanding that it's okay to not know all the facts at any given moment, like you're going to walk into a situation and you're going to handle it as best you can and you're going to grow and you're going to thrive and it's all going to be fine. I've always said fake it till you make it too. Yeah. I think it's amazing. And I look back to when we first met in New York and I was faking it till I, I made know, it back. Are, I, I mean, <laughs> I walked into New York having you know, no idea what I was doing, but so excited to be there. Exactly. It's like enthusiasm. That's also half, what is it? 90% of its success is showing up or whatever it is, you know, like you just have to show up and be present and be enthusiastic. And it's okay that you don't, know every right. single thing. And it's okay to fail. It's okay course. to make mistakes. and But have that belief that I'm going to keep going forward. Of course. And you'll figure it out. I think eventually that's the thing that I try to impart to my team members. You know, I've really watched them thrive and sort of thrown them challenges knowing that, you know, it might not be 100% perfect, but that's okay. Like, you know, that's part of growth. Like, you're, if you get, if you do the same thing all the time, you're going to get the same results. You're never going to take that next step or that next leap. Well, thank you so much. You. I can't wait to see where you are in even 10 more years. Oh my God. And I know. Same. I'm I'm so impressed by you. And I love reading Travel and Leisure. Thank and to you. know that you are behind it makes it extra special. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Jackie. 